When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. We are back in Eden Prairie as the Vikings get ready for Week 5 against the Houston Texans, their last game before their bye week and what could be a showdown matchup in October on October 23rd against the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN. I cover the Vikings for them here with Matthew Collar from 1500 ESPN and 1500ESPN.com. We are uh, chatting in the middle of Vikings practice. Uh, we cannot see Vikings practice because that would uh, probably result in us getting shot on sight uh, if we were uh, in a position where we could see it. But uh, we are chatting outside, enjoying the fall weather while we can, getting ready for Vikings-Texans on Sunday. And this is probably a game, Matthew, that I think a lot of people in the preseason, I, I know at the beginning of the season I thought this was going to be one of those games that is going to be a tricky one for the Vikings. And... Even without J.J. Watt, that Texans defense certainly looks like it will give the Vikings probably a better test than they've had, well, probably certainly last week against a, a Giants secondary that was pretty depleted. Yeah, there was a lot of positive feelings coming out of the Giants game, but if you look back at what they had in the secondary, I mean, during practice leading up to that game, they were using wide receivers in the yeah. secondary yep. on their scout team. That's how beat up they were, and they were missing pretty much their first uh, two cornerbacks, the Giants were, so it, it shouldn't come as a huge surprise that uh, the Vikings started to look a little bit better on the offensive line, and, uh, and Sam Bradford had a really good game as well. I, yep. I kind of 
when we talked about it, expected uh, the Vikings offense to, to get a little better work than they had against Carolina and Green Bay. And now they kind of go back to that, uh, although Carolina just got shredded last week against uh, the Falcons, but they go back to facing, I think, defenses that people expected to be really good. And even in the post-J.J. Watt era of, uh, I guess it's not quite an era yet, but even post-J.J. Watt injury. Intermission from yes, the J.J. Watt era. Right. Uh, lucky enough to face the team without J.J. Watt. But they still have Vince Wilfork in the middle and Jadavion Clowney. I feel like this is the year that he's going to emerge as a guy who deserved to be drafted number one. Yes. On film, he has looked like a dominant player. And looking at the way Olivier Vernon uh, had T.J. Clemmings for dinner last Monday, uh, there should be some major concerns there about the amount of pressure that's going to be on Sam Bradford. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that is going to be something to, to keep an eye on. I mean, in addition to the fact that the Giants didn't have many of their guys in their secondary, that is also not a team that had put a ton of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And in the NFL, we kind of always do this. We, it's this, okay, this was fixed, and we sort of fail to consider the other piece of the equation. There's always two pieces to the equation in the NFL. It's not always something you did right or something that another team did wrong or something you screwed up and another team did great. I mean, there's generally some combination of those things. And as we prepare for a game where the Vikings face the league's top-ranked pass defense, it is worth noting that this is going to be a step up in class from what they've seen in recent weeks. And I, I agree with you. I think the pass protection is going to be something to keep an eye on Sunday, particularly when Jadavian Clowney looks like the the freak that, that everybody thought he was going to be in the NFL. And and it's not just him. I mean, they, they have a, a pretty complete linebacker core, Whitney Merciless, Brian Cushing. It's a good defense, and the corners are solid. They've been in the league a long time, and they have a couple of the guys on that front. Vince Wilfork still playing well at his age, and uh, it, it is going to be a bigger challenge. There's no question about it um, for the Vikings on Sunday. From the pass protection standpoint, what do we think they'll do to try to limit some of the pressure? I mean, Sam Bradford's gotten rid of the ball quickly, but uh, – I wonder if we'll see some other scheme-type things to help T.J. Clemmings out on that side. I think there's two guys that come to mind for me when it comes to Jadavion Clowney is going to be in your backfield really fast, and that is Cordero Patterson and Jarek McKinnon. Yep. That Now, Stephon Diggs, we'll see because he's missed another day of practice, but I'm still going on the assumption that he's going to be uh, in the lineup. But when it comes to getting the ball out and into the hands of playmakers who can get off big plays without having to throw the ball downfield, both of those guys qualify, and the semi-emergency of Cordero Patterson as part of the offense last week was one of the most interesting things that came out of that Giants game because I think uh, in my mind and in the mind of many Minnesota Vikings fans, we had put Cordero Patterson as a kick returner and then he is a gunner for one game and does a great job. Okay, well, I guess he's just a special teams sure. guy and a, and a valuable one at that. And then he rips off a 21-yard reception and gets four more catches, which is uh, more than double his total from last year, getting yeah. getting five catches in one game. So that makes me wonder, like, have they found a way to use Cordero Patterson, even though we know he's not a good route runner very, and, and maybe he doesn't always have full, complete control of what he's doing in the offense, can they find ways to just get the ball in his hands because it, even you know he is just such an explosive runner once he's got it. And then McKinnon, they started to use him a little more in the passing game last week, and I would expect to see more of that. Here's my thing with Patterson. The stuff they're doing with him now is the same stuff they were doing in 2013 when he kind of took the league by storm. They had the same problems that year. I remember Leslie Frazier talking in the middle of that season when 
when that coaching staff was starting to get a lot of heat about why aren't you putting Cordero Patterson on the field, he said at one point, we're going about as quickly as we can with him. We, we, we're we giving him as much as he possibly can, can digest right now. And I, that was his way of saying this guy isn't picking everything up as quickly as we might like. And, and they found ways around that with some of the handoffs and the bubble screens and things they did late in that season. Those are the, still the same things they're doing now. And I, I think he's got a better understanding of what they want from him as a receiver. But I also think a lot of this is almost a carrot to him for finally showing the practice habits and the attention to detail and the study habits that they've been asking him to show for the last two years. I, I don't think this was necessarily, oh, hey, what about what if we try this? That has always been the stuff that Cordero Patterson did well, and it was the stuff we saw a little bit from them when North Turner took the job. That first game when Adrian Peterson was here, Cordero Patterson ran for like 103 yards in that game, and Obviously, you benefit from the fact that teams have to focus on Adrian Peterson at the time, but the, those ideas are things that they have known were there. I, I think a lot of this is, all right, now you are proving to us that you get it, and you are proving to us that you are willing to go do things that you might have thought at one point were beneath you, and now we're going to reward you. I, I think it has as much to do with that as schematically finding something that works for him as, as anything else. Yeah, and Mike Zimmer talked about that uh, on Tuesday. Our weeks are a little backwards now. Yeah, because the of Monday the, night game threw everything off. Normally it would be the Monday press conference or what it, uh, whatever day it was. The that, day after the game press conference. Yes, that uh, Patterson's attitude has uh, completely changed, and he said that his approach has been a lot better, which, you know, good for him on that. But I also think that, you know, a major part of this is that they probably came into this year expecting Laquan Treadwell to be a big part of the offense and to be that other weapon next to Stephon Diggs. And they, they knew that Kyle Rudolph can catch the ball. Right. And they've used that extremely well, especially in the red zone, that Sam Bradford and Kyle Rudolph appear to have a chemistry there. Yep. But outside of that, I think the big question that we were asking going into that Giants game and still are asking is, all right, who, who after that? Because Charles Johnson, you know, he gets a couple of big catches the other night two catches and if he shows that he could be a downfield weapon that's another threat and then we saw Patterson being used and then McKinnon being used you throw Patterson's presence in there and then you've got to go along with Diggs who's your all-around wide receiver to go along with him then you have an explosive guy at the line of scrimmage and then Johnson you have a guy who can make big plays deep and all of a sudden the offense if you have that Patterson wrinkle looks a lot more complicated and dangerous than it did of just well we have to stop Diggs and Rudolph. Well, I do think, I mean, regardless of how they use Patterson Sunday, I do agree with you that he is a guy that you could see being involved. Certainly Jarek McKinnon is as well. And I think it's worth noting that so far, at least, their way of dealing with pressure has been different than what they did last year. A lot of times last year, they would stick two tight ends to the side of TJ Clemmings and say, we are not going to let a speed rusher get around his outside shoulder. We are going to put guys over here. That also helps with the run. And and it was more of this, we'll overpower people, probably partially because you had Adrian Peterson too. Now it seems to be a little bit more of they can they can get past us possibly, but we don't need to devote as many guys to it because we have a quarterback that gets rid of the ball a little bit quicker than Teddy Bridgewater did. Sam Bradford has, has shown that he's probably got a little quicker trigger. Some of that is probably mechanics, and some of that is just probably knowing where he wants to go with the ball and, and trusting that he's going to be able to make that throw. And some of that is just – being a little bit older, being a little more experienced, probably a little more confident in what you're seeing and where you want to go. But I think some of those throws 
that we'll see them make on Sunday to Patterson, to Jarek McKinnon, uh, even to Stephon Diggs, some of those shorter throws are some of the ways that they are counteracting not having this ironclad offensive line up front. Yeah, and I, I, your point about Sam Bradford and how they have tailored the offense to not only deal with the offensive line, but also yeah. to his specialty, which, I mean, you go back and watch what he did against uh, or with Philadelphia yep. last year, and it was a quick pass offense. Mm-hmm. And after the first couple of weeks of the season, he had a lot of success. I, I ran the numbers even going back 14 weeks, and I, he had the, over a 90 quarterback rating even going back then and including yeah. these first uh, four weeks of the season. So you're starting to wonder. I mean, it's kind of like we're doing a little stock market all the time on Sam Bradford, trending up, trending down. Right. You know what? Where do we see this stock going? Where is it currently sitting? And the, the thing is that if you looked at his chart of his stock over those last you know 10 games in Philadelphia and what he's done so far, it's trending it's just, up. it has continued to rise and rise and rise. And that's why this game game even though you're looking forward to that Eagles game because Philadelphia has been one of the most intriguing teams in the NFL and because of subplots Carson. galore yeah I mean so we're looking forward to that one but you know going into this game with such a great pass defense I mean th- this will be the one where I'm watching Sam Bradford to see okay now how does he perform against the team that has a legitimately good pass rush and and very good secondary and great pass defense I mean we're they're going to have to run the ball first yeah. of all because I, I feel like that opened up everything uh, against the Giants yeah and Houston doesn't defend it very well no 4.6 yards per carry yeah. against which is one of the worst in the NFL and, and so you know maybe they can get that going and that helps out Sam Bradford but if you're going to win you've got to pass successfully and this will be this might be actually you look at the other teams they've played this might be the hardest test yeah in some ways I think it is I mean I think defensively it might be I mean we all kind of thought Carolina defensively was going to be tough but and I think in some ways it certainly was they didn't play terribly well offensively that day but without Josh Norman I think that's probably a little bit different defense than it was last year And, and certainly the Texans are different without J.J. Watt but one of the interesting things with Houston is just they they don't blitz a ton I mean they don't throw a ton of extra pressure yet they're still <coughs> excuse me they're still able to create quite a bit of pressure just by sending their standard rush which tells you that guys like Jadavian Clowney are getting home Whitney Merciless guys like that are able to get home but it also tells you that they probably can mix up their pressure enough that even when they send four they have a def- different ways to do it that you don't necessarily have the same four guys coming all the time and that obviously is one of the things in a three four that that they'll have to be ready for, that the Vikings will have to be ready for, is is you get a lot of different looks, you get a lot of different angles. They saw some of that with the Packers, but the Texans probably, without having to blitz as much, I would think, are going to be more effective at getting pressure just when the, with their standard rush. And one of the most impressive parts of Sam Bradford so far is that he has not had in any of these games a confused look on his face. No, he hasn't. He, he's just had full control of the offense, and and everybody in the locker room has been earnestly impressed. You know, and it's always funny about you know you could say post game quotes, who cares or whatever else, but these guys always seem to find a, a way to hint you in one way or another that if you know the language enough, 
then uh, you could sort of figure out. And, and, you know, they were talking about him being uh, in control in the huddle and having, you know, the, the, the fire that they didn't necessarily know was there or not, yep. especially when you talk to Sam Bradford and he's kind of an understated type of person. But then, you know, when he's in the game that uh, they've seen a lot different from him. So having that full control of the offense this quickly after just getting here a week before the season and never seeming to look like he's uh, making the wrong read or throwing in the wrong direction, yeah. that's been really surprising because I expected that there would be moments where it was like, well, that wasn't supposed to happen, but we have really not had that. Yeah, it's it's certainly been different in that regard, and, and Norv Turner talked about this a little bit today, that they have gone to some of these, these code names for plays rather than doing things the way they used to do them in the Air Coriel scheme where you had every route with a number. Now they have basically a code name for the play that they switch up every week so that you can you can hear them call basically a two-word thing that sets the protection and sets the name of the play. And, and it, you kind of hear that, and it's like, why haven't people thought of that before? I mean, that just seems like such a much more intuitive way to go about it than having a route for every number and having this long set of terminology to to list off plays. I it's uh, It was interesting to hear him say that, and it, it probably has helped Sam Bradford get up to speed more quickly because – he doesn't have to get this long play name out in the huddle and, and doesn't have to understand every little nuance of a play name to, to recite it back correctly. That's a lot of that job that, that quarterbacks will tell you they have to learn. Is It's not just knowing where to go with the ball. They have to be able to communicate in the huddle what everybody else's assignment is, and I think the way they have gone about it probably has helped speed that process up. I, I think they were doing some of that previously. I mean, Scott Turner's influence there has been – important because of some of the things he did in Carolina with Cam Newton. Um, I I think that has worked its way into Norv Turner's typical offense and and has done that certainly before this year. I know they were starting to add in some of that stuff late last season as well, but that probably has helped get Sam Bradford up to speed a little quicker than, than he otherwise might have done it. Funny that the criticism of Norv Turner here in Minnesota has been that he didn't want to change, that right. he was old Norv doing the same things that uh, Troy Aikman would do back in my day, mm-hmm. right? But it, it's almost like you know change comes out of necessity a lot of times. Yep. Right? People don't yep. want to change if they've had success unless they're forced to change. And this situation with Teddy Bridgewater going down has forced a lot of changes that maybe have been for the better. And, and starting with uh, you know having to tweak the language and all that sort of thing, but even to just the overall philosophy of getting the ball out quicker. I mean, you watch great offenses around the league and, and we'll see this eventually with Philadelphia that they're trying to have Carson Wentz get the ball out fast and and spread people out and, and there were sets last week where they had uh, Kyle Rudolph all the way wide on one side and yeah, then the, three wide receivers the on, on the other side yeah yeah so basically a stick route trying to isolate him yep. on one side of the field because he's been good in the red zone and yep. and, and to, to, to me that there have been a lot of really positive changes just maybe even in the overall philosophy yep. and maybe Cordero Patterson could be tied into this a little bit of just using players to their strengths because that's what you were forced to do instead of hey we've got we've got to get the ball to Adrian Peterson because he's Adrian Peterson or we've got to stick with seven step drops because we love seven step drops and now it's well this guy we we just got him and this is what he does well so we're going to have to do that or we're going to be in a lot of trouble because he's not going to be able to pick up our entire offense in a week I'm at a crossroads here because if Judd Zolgad were here 
you know who he would bring up with talking about the changes in the offense. The, 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 well, uh, I thought you were going to say Schmer Schmalsch, but I think you're going to say Schmatt Schmermer. Uh, yes. Uh, now, do we honor him in his absence by going there, or do we take a break from the Sports Grinch's pet topic and uh, just kind of give short shrift to that to uh, the Pat Shermer influence on things. I, I guess we'll bring it up. We'll honor the sports crunch here. That that may have something to do with it, some of these new ideas that are coming in. But in terms of changing the, the, the way they call plays and, and even going to some shorter stuff, I mean, there was some of that starting to happen last year. It was kind of this push and pull a little bit because they want to have some of the, the air Coriel seven-step drop things in the offense. But Teddy Bridgewater hinted more than once that he doesn't like that stuff. That I mean, he wants to throw it quick and, and be able to get the ball out of his hands quickly, and, and some of that stuff wasn't being called as often. And, and there was probably no more glaring example of Bridgewater kind of speaking up about it than the last play in Arizona mm-hmm. where he basically said in so many words, I didn't like the call and I didn't have an option to get out of it. And then Norv Turner said a couple of days later, it was a good play call. There was no reason to audible out of it. And then, you know, obviously Bridgewater gets a strip sack and that ends the game. So I think some of these changes have been going on. I think there's kind of been this slow migration towards some of the quicker stuff. Um, but I think some of it now becomes more necessary because that's what Sam Bradford does well. And, and we've seen Sam Bradford hit some long throws in in conjunction with that. But the, the, the shorter stuff certainly seems to be where he, he thrives. And you're right, you see more teams doing that now. Probably because offensive lines might not be as good as they used to be. Defenses are able to throw more confusing pressure looks at people. You get a lot of quarterbacks that are probably coming out of college systems where they're used to getting the ball out of their hands quickly. And um, It would be interesting to look at that over the course of the last 10 years. This is I'm kind of doing a little bit of on-air uh, story planning here. Uh, going to look back through our stats and info files, it would be interesting to see if the time that quarterbacks are getting the ball out of their hands has gone down across the league because it certainly feels like there's a lot more quick passing stuff in a lot of these offenses now than there maybe was a few years back. And to uh, pat your employer on the back, the stats that they have just uh, in the splits section of every quarterback are really fascinating to look at for how many passes are thrown behind the line of scrimmage, how many are thrown between 10 and 19. And, and, you know, that's uh, one of the things that Teddy Bridgewater did extremely well, which was he was accurate between 10 and 19 yards, Mm -hmm. those intermediate routes. And, and, you know, the uh, the Bradford, he was – the Bradford. That's what we'll call him now. Sounds like but the name was, of a fancy hotel. <laughs> the Bradford. The Bradford Hotel. Yes. I'm staying he, at the Bradford tonight. But but uh, Bradford's statistics for the short passes were really, really good. But, you know, what's interesting about that, too, is that Bradford has had a lot of success on those shorter passes. He's very accurate. But he also showed a lot against the Giants that he can launch it down the field and make those throws down the sidelines yeah, too. And he did it against Carolina. Johnson just dropped it. And then this time against the Packers. Too. Yeah, against the uh, Giants, Johnson actually brings that ball in. So Bradford's deep ball accuracy may be going a little underappreciated here. Yeah, yeah. and this is going to be a fascinating thing to watch over the course of the season. And, and you kind of, when we were talking before the podcast, you, you brought it up. In, in some ways, is Sam Bradford going to be a better fit than Teddy Bridgewater has been or was I mean, that that topic is going to be a lot easier to fully assess once we've seen more than three games and I, I don't want to pretend that that we can draw a complete conclusion on Sam Bradford at this point but it is worth kind of keeping an eye on that
There's a party on our podcast, and you're invited. Hey, everyone, Anthony Maggio here. Join me, Bo Mitchell, and John Tuvey every Thursday through week 16 of the NFL season for 1500 ESPN's Fantasy Football Party Podcast. Whether you're an office league novice or swimming with the DFS Sharks, we've got all the analysis and mostly dated cultural references you need to make you a winner. Find us on Podcast One, 1500ESPN.com, or subscribe on iTunes today. Are they more efficient on offense in the long haul because Sam Bradford is here? Would they have gotten to this point with Teddy Bridgewater? It's kind of impossible to know that, but... I mean, you could talk about, oh, you guys are just trying to stir up controversy. This is going to be something they have to assess inside their own walls where assuredly no controversy ever happens. It's all copacetic and everything is is productive and there's no drama whatsoever. I'm, I'm completely certain of that. But in spite of all that, they are going to have to discuss some of these things, figuring out how they go forward at quarterback. It's going to be interesting to see what they – decide to do there in the long haul did you ever see the departed you know that movie the I Departed, did. where did. he says uh that's not a guy you can't punch but that's almost a guy you can't punch <laughs> and i think of that like it's not a story that we're there at yet but we're almost there yeah we're like yeah. Get, we're like that sam bradford as he continues to play well week after week and put up high quarterback ratings and wins and run this offense efficiently if this is a trend throughout the entire season and he finishes the year with the fifth highest quarterback rating in the league and he's shown an ability to hit deep balls and short passes and everybody's bought into him well uh, that old saying of not losing your job to injury sorry that might have to be a change and uh, you know uh, the better he plays the more we're going to have to talk about that because he is under contract for another year it's not just oh they rented him for this year because they had a really good team and plus it's not like you just grabbed a Brett Favre at 38 years old or however old he was I mean this guy he's 27 years old right I mean he could reasonably if he continues to play like this like he has the last 10 games going back to Philadelphia 14 games going back to Philadelphia that's franchise quarterback material and, and he has an agent who's going to be looking for a franchise quarterback contract yeah that He's is going into a contract true year as next well. year and tom condon is his agent that is going to be something that they have to discuss going into next season and it's uh it's going to be a fascinating topic i, I think you know we're, we're a ways from from knowing the answer there yet but we're not all that far. I mean, that that is going to be something they have to figure out, and, and Teddy Bridgewater's recovery timetable on all of this is going to play into it. But they have to make a decision on his fifth-year option in May. I would expect they'll pick that up. But When do you think it really becomes, this? like, the big talk? Because right now it's not. It's the defense. That's the big talk, and it's undefeated, yep. and yep. Hey, maybe they're the best team in the league. They've made a really good case, and, hey, look, they've shut down all these great quarterbacks, and, oh, yeah, by the way, Bradford's doing pretty well. A little bit of buzz with a certain big giant sports writer, yep. uh, formerly of SI, now of MMQB, writing. <laughs> quarter season MVP. Yes, which is Whatever maybe a, a little bit of a stretch yeah, to I say that so. I wouldn't uh, make Sam Bradford my quarter season MVP when he only played three out of the four games. Right. But uh, it, it's still there's there's the rumbling, right? There's there's the start of the buzz of this conversation. So what what record? What stats? What does he have to get to uh, to have that start really being a talk? Does it have to be? 10 and 2 or something like that when people really start to talk about it? Well, if we yeah, say we get to that point, there are going to be a lot of people, you know, the season end awards are going to come out around that time, you're going to start to see a lot of those projections and people are going to be saying, "Okay, where does this guy rank 
in voting for different things, Pro Bowls, All Pros, whatever. I mean, it, and we're we're away from that, obviously, but there are going to be those conversations, and and that topic is going to get a lot more attention nationally. Now, what the Vikings do about it is going to be a, a different topic, certainly than what those of us uh, who simply write or talk about the game because we can't play our coach, apparently, uh, as Alex Boone said today, uh, what we say about it probably doesn't have as much merit or bearing on the situation as, as what the Vikings are going to do. But, yeah, that is going to be one of the big topics of, the, of an offseason that I have already come to grips with the fact that it is not going to be a quiet offseason. No, I, I, no I not with the Adrian Peterson. I that, that one of these here would be quiet. <laughs> We've had Chris Cluey. We had Adrian Peterson after that. We had, I mean, this one wasn't like like a lot of bad news stuff coming up, but it was busy with the stadium and all of this sort of stuff. And, and yeah, I've, I've already uh, come to grips with the fact that next offseason is going to be very busy with making a decision on Adrian Peterson, the quarterback situation, um, whatever else happens to come up, depending on how this season shakes out. It, there are going to be some, some big decisions to be made, as it seems like there always are, just around the corner in the NFL. And, uh, yeah, the uh, the idea of having a, a few months to be like, hey, yeah, there's not really any big news. You can kind of just yeah, that's you know, relax not, that's a little not bit. That ain't going to no, happen. No, no. no. Um, not that anybody who's listening to this feels sorry for us, nor should they. But uh, I'm just I'm I'm hopping up on the couch here, as it were. I'm just I'm I'm unburdening my soul, uh, letting you guys know that we are going to be very busy. Do you have thoughts on uh, Mike Zimmer's two-word answer about Blair Walsh? Not yet. Not yet, he said, when asked if uh, the Vikings would be bringing in other kickers. Well, that's a telling two words, isn't yes, it? Yes, it, it, that is uh, damning with faint praise, I believe is the phrase. Um, it doesn't do a lot to squelch the idea that Mike Zimmer might be getting a little fed up with the whole thing. I mean, he has, you know, y- you ask him about Blair Walsh after a missed kick, and he kind of throws his hands up, you know, in various different ways and says, I I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I don't know what to tell him. I wish I knew. I think he said Sunday or Monday night, uh, I wish I knew what was going on. And, and Mike Prefer has said it, it's mental. And then I think today Mike Prefer said, well, you know, you guys are focusing on the one he missed, but he made the other one and – yeah, we saw it. He made some extra. Yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> we know. Uh, um, and I think we noted that. But that's but five missed kicks in four games. He's 28th in the league in field goal percentage right now, and he's tied for 32nd in extra point percentage and with a couple of guys who are not kicking for their teams. For his career, or at least in terms of active, he's 11th, which means yes. he should be better than this. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and some of it is that he has set a high enough standard that, I mean, it's a backwards compliment, obviously, but he's set a high enough standard that when he's not kicking well, People are saying, okay, well, what's going on here? It would be one thing if he was sort of up and down and and had been this guy that, well, he goes through these stretches and then he tends to find a way out of it. But he'd been so good, particularly as a rookie, that you sit there and say, okay, well, something's up here. And, and I think it's it's no secret that some of this is probably still just having your mind right after you know a tough stretch last year, not just – the kick against Seattle, he struggled in the preseason, obviously, and, and had a couple stretches at the early part of that season where he was missing too. And and it's uh, it it is uh, it's an interesting topic because Mike Zimmer has not exactly shied away from the idea that he's upset about it, 
and the lip reading that could be done Monday <laughs> night yes. also not did safe not for children. Uh, throw cold water on the idea that Mike Zimmer's upset about it. It was not hard to look at that clip and say, "Oh, he's he's upset." Uh, yes, yeah. We won't repeat what he, he said. He always kind of looks during the game like he's a little concerned, but yep. he looks specifically upset there. The uh, thing that stuck out to me about Monday's, Tuesday's, sorry, press conference where he said not yet was that right behind him in the same building was Blair Walsh for the second straight week on his off day yes. taking practice kicks, which doesn't exactly scream like, I'm real, I'm good, guys. Like, yep. I, I don't have anything to worry about. Like, he, the way he, he's walking around in the locker room, the, the answers he was giving during his little scrum the other day, the, the kicks the here, it's like... 58 second or 59 second, whatever Well, he's just not giving anybody the indication that he's okay. Yeah. Like, he is yeah. just telling the entire world from the way he's acting in the media to the kicks on the on the off days to everything else like it's yeah right there was that comment too but i mean he's just letting everybody know like yeah it's inside my head and yeah i I mean maybe it's a little bit of self-fulfilling prophecy with some of it is every time he goes on the field for a field goal there isn't this like oh i got this it's oh man happen now if i miss then they're gonna kill me again about it so um hey how about brock osweiler do you think brock osweiler is good (laughs) I don't know. I I I don't think we've seen enough to have a complete answer to that question yet. I mean, he did some nice things in Denver last year. He's he's a big guy, but he's thrown a lot of interceptions already. What five or six of them already? I six, think. yeah. And it's um, I mean, it's an awful lot of money to give a guy that, that you're not quite sure about. But I mean, the, the tools certainly are there. But the interceptions are are probably the big concern and. and Bill O'Brien kind of said that yesterday, and this is that's the thing in this game. That's ultimately why I think the Vikings do win this game is that Brock Osweiler seems like a guy who will give you some chances to to create some takeaways, especially if he's pressured, which I think he probably will be because everybody the Vikings have played has been, and I think that to me is the thing. It's difficult, a difficult of a game as I think this is going to be for the Vikings trying to be productive against the Texans' defense. It's also going to be difficult for Houston to be productive against a defense that has shown itself to be very good at shutting down high-end receivers and probably will put some pressure on Brock Osweiler, which could re- result in a couple turnovers. What's your What's your read on him? Uh, I don't think that Osweiler is good. I think that he is uh, among the least impressive quarterbacks in the NFL. He reminds me a lot of Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. in that like a lot of turnovers – occasionally will have a very nice game and people will go, oh, see, he's good enough to be your starting quarterback. Like, just good enough to where if he has a great team, he can get you to 9-7, and seven, and that division is still abominable. Yes. How about a, an entire division in a league of sports that can be just a joke for like a decade plus? Yeah, when was the last – has it ever been good? I mean uh, – the ja- well, let's see. Would they have changed it by the, the Jaguars with Jack would, Del Rio was their coach? They had a couple of years there, but yeah, that would have been like that would have still been because uh, realignment was two thousand two. Like when the Jaguars were, it was like Jaguars and Titans early like two thousand two thousand one. The David Garrard years, they would have had a few yeah. there. I'm but, not sure that was in the South though. That was probably so when the Jaguars yet. were in the AFC Central and. The Titans, I suppose, would have been two, right? Yeah. I mean, but that was... since since the AFC South has been formed, it's been awful. Yes. Uh, and and it just so you know, you can get into the playoffs again. They're three and one already, yeah. and they could get into the playoffs again with Osweiler as a mediocre quarterback. But in terms of 
you know, control the offense, his accuracy, and all those sorts of things uh, from what I've seen of him in Denver and then here, I have not yet been impressed. But the one thing he does have is lots of playmakers. Yep. And I think Lamar Miller's a really good running back, mm-hmm. and that's going to be the he thing. A, he had a good game against the Vikings a couple of years ago in Miami. I mean, the Vikings have done a spectacular job, starting with Linval Joseph, of shutting down other teams' running games. Yep. They've allowed no opportunities there whatsoever, and Miller's a guy that can go off. And then, you know, now at least two or three wide receivers who are dangerous starting yep. with DeAndre Hopkins yep yeah there there are some weapons there. there's no question Will Fuller guy that the Vikings didn't really I didn't think consider all that seriously Mike Zimmer said they looked at him it was very telling that both Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman were on the field with Josh Doxson at TCU on his pro day the same day that Will Fuller was having his pro day at Notre Dame that probably tells you kind of where those guys were in the pecking order but uh, Will Fuller is certainly a guy that can run that can get downfield that will give the Vikings something to think about. DeAndre Hopkins is the first guy you have to look at taking away, and I it will be interesting to see if Xavier Rhodes is shadowing him as he did with Odell Beckham. My guess is that, yes, he will be. But, uh, yeah, there are going to be some some threats that the, the Texans throw at him. Braxton Miller, too, who I, was really, really impressive down at the Senior Bowl when I was down there covering that in January. You know, a guy that obviously is a converted quarterback, but has the size. Footwork is better than you think for a guy that's a converted quarterback and and certainly understands a lot of the mechanics of playing receiver from his experience as a quarterback. So, yeah, that is a group that that is going to continue to get better. The question is, do they have the quarterback? And and that could be ultimately what tips it one way or the other on Sunday and then obviously going forward for them down the the stretch. uh, The Xavier Rhodes question is a great one. And, and by the way, uh, Xavier has just ruined Odell Beckham's life for the week. (laughs) I mean, Beckham saying he's not having fun anymore and he's not being the role model that he wants to be. Like, why Xavier got in his head as much as you've ever seen a corner get inside a wide receiver's head. Well, maybe not as much as Josh Norman. Okay, maybe not, yeah. But but I think Beckham still had catches in that game. Yeah. You know, I mean, Beckham... I'm talking about last year with Josh Norman. No, I I, I am too. And and Norman got inside his head to the point where he committed a a penalty that got him suspended for a game. But I think... He, now, I don't he, have the box score, but I think he still had catches. They put up 35 points, I think, in that game. Yeah. The yeah, Giants did. Shootout. In this game, he had 23 yards, the lowest he's he's had. So, And that was with Rhodes going one-on-one with him. I would actually think for this week, because there's multiple weapons, that they would go back to what they did against Carolina, where Rhodes was fantastic every time he was lined up against Kelvin Benjamin, but they didn't always have him shadowing Kelvin yeah, Benjamin. Do you think Hopkins is that too, good? Though. Do you think Hopkins is that good? Cause yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, he's a different kind of receiver, but I mean, they had multiple weapons last week too. I mean, Victor Cruz, Sterling Shepard. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, they they had other guys that they could have worried about last week too, and they chose to put Rhodes on Beckham to at least be. I mean, there were a lot of times where they were doing some bracket things and and had Rhodes back in in zone coverage and had Harrison Smith underneath him and. You know, Captain Munnerlin a couple different times. There, there were some different looks. It wasn't just like Rhodes was on an island with them all night, um, but they wanted Rhodes to be involved in the coverage with Beckham just about every time he was on the field. I just given the fact that they have done this now with Calvin Johnson, Alshon Jeffrey, Odell Beckham, I think they even did it with Mike Wallace when he was in Miami, which is kind of a different type of receiver. But when they've had these type of these big kind of over the top receivers, and Hopkins isn't as fast as some of these other guys, but when they've had those guys on the field, they have typically in recent years told Xavier Rhodes, "Okay, that's your guy." you're going to be responsible for shadowing him. I I would be a little bit surprised if they don't do that again. I, I think it's more likely than not that they will. 
do that again. And that will be uh, certainly a matchup to watch if it gets to that point. Uh, what is your prediction for this game? I've I'm had to make mine. Uh, hey, you were really close on the Giants game. You said I, twenty to ten, and what it ended up being 24 ten. Yep. I, if they had kicked the field goal instead of scored that last touchdown, I was going to be right on. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I was close on that one, and uh, um, I think I'm two and two for the year so far. Well, I'm going to say that uh, the Vikings, because I do not believe trap games actually exist. So I'm going to say that uh, the Vikings will win this game because yeah. I'm not. I don't believe really that much in Brock Osweiler as being able to face a great defense. And the other, the other great defense he faced, he got shut out by. Yep. The the, the New England yep. Patriots. So I I am going to say uh, I will go something like 24-14. I think the Vikings will struggle to move the ball through the air a little more than they did against the Giants. But uh, at the same time, I could see you could see a two or three pick day yep. coming from Brock Osweiler. He is pretty athletic for a guy who's six eight, but you know maybe some sacks mixed yep. in there. And uh, I think they will, and especially at home. You know, I mean that's another thing to talk about too. That I think there is a significant home field advantage with the noise. They're at, turning uh, that Bank. into it. I think. I think that's true. You and I are very close on this one. Uh, I have the Vikings twenty four to thirteen. I agree that they will have a tougher time moving the ball, but I also think they will get a couple of turnovers to put them in positions to uh, capitalize on those fairly quickly. So, yeah, I think they win this too. I, I think Brock Osweiler is going to uh, give them some opportunities, and I think they will capitalize on some of those, and I think they'll go into the bye week 5-0. and And, and uh, I mean, yes, it's a, it's a tough matchup. I thought this was a tough matchup at the beginning of the season when we had to do those game-by-game game predictions before the season. I actually picked the Vikings to lose this one. And I heard about it from a lot of people. How do you think the Texans – well, the Texans did make the playoffs last year. And they had J.J. Watt when you made that prediction. Yes, they so. did. So that is part of the reason that I have, have changed it. But I also think that the defense is, is doing enough to rattle quarterbacks right now that what I kind of come back to is if Aaron Rodgers didn't beat him, if Cam Newton didn't beat him, if Eli Manning didn't beat him, I have a hard time seeing Brock Osweiler be the guy. At some point in the NFL, you stretch the rubber band far enough that it snaps back and you lose one at some point. That that could be coming. The Vikings are, I don't think, going to go undefeated. And I, there's going to be a game where they come out and you say, well, that didn't look like them. I don't think this is the one where that happens. So I think they win it. I think they go into the bye week undefeated. And then we spend the, the next week uh, revisiting the Sam Bradford trade from every possible angle because the Vikings will go back to Philadelphia for what could be a matchup of undefeateds on October 23rd. You believe in trap games? I do I not not always. I I don't think this is a trap game, even if I believe in them. I'm not because sure they're if three I do. and one. I'm a trap right? game agnostic. Yes, I, <laughs> I I don't know what I believe, but uh, I'm happy to talk about it all day. Um, there have probably been times where teams thought they had it made, yeah, and yeah. didn't prepare the way they should have prepared. But I think on the whole. Most of the time, the teams you're supposed to beat, you do beat, or yeah. it's just the NFL and there's a lot of randomness. Right, yeah, that is true, and I, I don't think this is a trap game when it's a team that's 3-1 and one that went to the playoffs last year that is a formidable opponent. I don't think this is going to be one when they come in there and say, ah, we, all we got to do is roll the balls out, we'll beat these guys. I I don't think that that's how they'll approach this. I, I don't see a lot of that in Mike Zimmer. I don't see a lot of that in the way these guys take their cues from Mike Zimmer, that they're ever going to have games where they say, yeah, we don't we, we've got this one in the bag. We don't have to worry that much about it. I just don't think that's 
how they're wired. And for the most part, they've beaten the teams that they should beat. In the last couple of years under Mike Zimmer, the games they've lost, with the exception of the first one against the 49ers last year, have been to the teams that they probably should lose to. So I do think they win this one, and I think uh, they will go into the bye week 5-0. and And we will be back with the Sports Grinch, the three-headed uh, – the three-man weave, I won't say the three-headed monster. I suppose Grinch is kind of a monster unto himself. But we will be back with Judd uh, to break down Vikings-Texans on Sunday afternoon after the, blessedly, the first afternoon game at home. We will not be working till 2 a.m., nor will we be recording a podcast at 1 a.m. We will be, uh, we'll be a little more chipper. We'll then, be a little yeah, more I chipper. Think. We'll have a little more energy, and hopefully we will uh, we'll get it right uh, as we go into – the bye week following Vikings Texans on Sunday. We will talk to you on Sunday afternoon. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you have a great rest of your week.